Welcome to the Real Education Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Bowles, and on this show, I interview remarkable people who think way outside the box in education. To listen to more episodes, learn more about my guests, or become a patron of this ad and sponsor-free show, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. You can also email me at yours truly at blakebowles.com. Now, on to the show. My guests today are Alan Webb and Sarah Jane Bradley, organizers of the Open Masters community. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for having us. So first question, what is the Open Masters community? Well, the name, the Open Masters, actually was created by a small group of people who were gathering around kitchen tables and any way they could get themselves together in Washington, D.C. about three years ago to describe what they were creating together and for themselves, which was essentially a DIY self-declared master's program. And over the last couple of years, that concept has drawn a larger community of people around the world who have also declared and designed their own master's degrees and uh, just simply want to be in community with other people who are doing the same thing for all of the accountability support. Um, and fun that comes along with that. So now it's become a little bit of a uh, global, almost like a homeschooling network for adults that are designing their own self-declared master's degrees. So what does it mean to design your own master's degree? I know each of you are pursuing your own DIY master's. And so tell us about those. What do they look like? Uh, So my open master's has uh, evolved a little bit. Um, And it, and It's a combination of things that I have always held really dear and have struggled with integrating in my life. Um, So I've I've worked in the social sector for a while, and um, yet I also have been um, a singer for my entire life and a person who um, is really interested in media production and studied journalism. Um, And so my open master's is really a way of trying to integrate the arts in what I have um, been doing in other sectors of my life. So it's storytelling and social change. Um, And the way that this has looked has been um, working on various projects. So um, illustrating and writing a short adult children's book um, about grief, um, working on some graphic design projects around the climate crisis, uh, working with, with other artists to create a feminist Christmas album, um, as well as, well as, you know, doing things that are more, more, more usually understood as an education, which is reading a lot of books. So I'm reading a lot about social movement theory and, um, history of community organizing. Um, so, cause these are all parts of my life and they've all, they've always felt, um, very important, but they've felt fragmented. And I think the open masters is my way of, bringing them all together with a single purpose, which is to affect change through compelling storytelling that, that really illuminates or, or tries to bring together um, the various, the various like truths that are out there. Yeah. A a self-declared masters has a pretty common flow for a lot of people that we've seen come through this community or uh, that uh, had been doing these sorts of things that we studied before we had a formal community to support this movement. Um, and it's pretty simple. It's 
it's combining the passions and interests and skills that you want to be learning about and developing and giving them a pretty clear sense of focus and intention, uh, maybe even giving it a name around how you're going to bring those gifts to, uh, to life in the world over usually some period of a couple of years. You know, it's, some, it's a dream that's just beyond reach or just uh, unattainable, but that you can see yourself fulfilling through an intentional path of education to get there. For me, that looks like in the beginning, I, I basically framed the whole thing around needing to learn, wanting to learn the things I felt like I might need to learn to credibly help run an incubator for social entrepreneurs. That was a primary motivation for me in the beginning. So I felt like I wanted an education in, in learning. I wanted to learn how to create transformative learning communities. And I also wanted to combine the elements of some of the best entrepreneurial training programs and incubators out there for myself. So I, um, over the last couple of years, I've gone on a road tour to visit um, all sorts of very different innovative programs inside and outside of formal learning institutions, um, including lots that are popping up out of the woodworks. Um, I've created and run lots of little small educational experiments of my own. I've actually worked in an incubator um, at the University of Virginia. Um, and I've generally uh, been growing a lot in my skill as a facilitator and finding more professional skill and work in that area too. So break it down for me. In a normal master's degree program, you have an advisor, you have peers, you have a pretty clear curriculum. And in an open master's, I'm assuming you have to create all of these for yourself. And so what have your personal experiences been in in creating the structure? Because I feel like that's what we pay for with a master's degree program at a regular college or university. Right. That, those are all some of the same conversations we had in the very, very beginning in Washington, D.C. when we decided to start this group. Uh, sitting around the kitchen table again in the start, we basically asked ourselves the question, what is it that we are wanting to get from a formal master's degree program? And the kinds of things we listed uh, were things like we wanted to be working on projects that were meaningful to us and building a portfolio of work that could show what we were capable of and that could stretch us and help us grow. We wanted to be working with mentors and advisors and peers and having classmates again. We wanted to have a sense of a goal that we were working on and maybe the two-year time frame. And we essentially said, we think that these are all things that we could give each other in a strong community um, and possibly a lot more affordably. And then one of the fun surprises was over the last couple of years is we've actually learned, I think, that Um, there's something even more magical when you're responsible for creating and designing and giving that structure to yourself. And that many of us had to overcome a sort of scarcity mindset that um, we couldn't get started on our learning until an institution designed something for us or until we found the absolute expert in this field to teach us what we wanted to learn. Um, But there's actually some pretty good research to suggest that, especially in the beginning of a learning journey, it's actually most helpful to be learning from people who most recently learned what it is you're trying to learn right now. Um, and so we identified that there were lots of really powerful learning experiences we could have immediately with the people already available in our social network and giving the name of a, of a self-declared masters to what we were doing actually made it easier to invite other people to play an intentional role in that community. So then people could invite all of their friends and family, bosses, 
and those second and third degree connections into their learning programs. So basically capturing a lot of the social relationships that were already out there um, in their lives or just, just one or two degrees away and making them a part of your education very intentionally. So if I understand correctly, you're saying the advisor and the peers and the content that you get out of a master's program, you say it, it might not be that far away from you in the first place if you just go look for it. Right, exactly. I, I think uh, the, 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 content, uh, the content problem has mostly been solved. You know, Wikipedia, YouTube, and Google has done a pretty good job of making the world's information available to you uh, at the click of a uh, click of a mouse, <laughs> um, but uh, making sense of it and creating order of it um, was really the hard part. And that for that part, we needed each other. We needed community. Yeah, I would say that the Open Masters, you know, having a name to it and and taking ownership of it has allowed people to have an excuse to gather the kinds of people that they want in order to make sense and meaning out of the information that they're seeking to learn. Um, it gives them an excuse to ask someone to be a mentor. It gives them an excuse to ask someone to teach them something or to teach someone else. So, I just want a few more examples of the type of open masters focuses or projects that people in your community have focused on. I think that'll really illustrate the, the possibilities. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to sort of, sort of start from the backwards forward and some of the more recent ones that are coming online help illustrate some of the um, types of people within our community. So, for example, Jennifer Chung um, is in L.A. and she, um, hardly before even talking to us at all, she found some of the materials on our website, was inspired by the concept, and this uh, helped inspire her to create a website describing her self-declared masters on the theme of awakening the medicine woman. So she is intentionally harvesting and uh, mining her own, um, what she sees as ancestral knowledge around Chinese medicine, digging back into that history for herself and has a particular focus on learning and mastering a lot of those skills that are part of uh, ancient Chinese healing practices in order to bring them to Western women in um, in the U.S. primarily, I guess, and um, so you know she's she's young. Uh, it's about I mean she's our age. She's it's about um, living into a dream for her in many ways. On the other end of the spectrum, there there might be um, someone like Katie McCauley, who is in Santa Fe, who has actually started and run two uh, pretty incredible outdoors based education programs near Santa Fe. But she's never had the formal degree that that formally codified that she has the knowledge that she has. Um, she, there are legitimately some things that she wants to continue to learn, but maybe the piece of paper isn't the most important thing to her. So she's designing a master's that for in, in many ways for her are filling the gaps that she felt like she always wanted to dive into a little bit more intentionally. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Some of the uh, members in San Francisco illustrate this kind of spectrum of, of both content and motivation for the kind of people that um, enter into this community. Um, so one of the members, Tess Brustein, is a, a co-founder of an education tech startup. And um, she came to this San Francisco community because 
she was struggling with um, this desire to really dive into what it means to be a female leader, especially in a male-dominated space like tech and, and the startup world generally. Um, and so her Open Masters is focused on reading the canon of feminist literature and um, also working on projects related to female leadership in this space. Um, and I think, you know, she's already doing some of the things that, that are her dreams, like career-wise. So, you know, her her company is is definitely her focus for her work. But this is really, her Open Masters is a way of um, allowing her the the relief and the release and the community for developing into that um, career a little bit more intentionally um, and also kind of keeping herself sane in, in what can be, I think, a frustrating space for a female leader. Um, another, another member is uh, Patton Christofides and he is uh, an engineer who um, works in the peninsula and lives in the city. And, um, his dream is ultimately to open a brewery and he's always been interested in, in brewing. He's been home brewing for years, but he wanted to add some structure to this passion of his so that one day he might be in a place where, where he could launch something like that. So um, he studies brewing. He uh, works with, with other brewers. He has little taste testings um, with the rest of the group in San Francisco. Uh, he's reading a lot of books. His, his open masters is, is, um, can be a lot of things, you know, it's checking out what business plans for breweries look like or reading books on fermentation. And, um, a lot of it is social too. So just checking in with people who are doing similar things to him. Just looking back to, it might be helpful to hear some examples that have played out through fruition and one of the people sitting around that kitchen table in DC in the beginning, actually the one who cooked the food for that first meeting, Mike Durante um, was passionate about um, farming in general. And he saw himself playing a role uh, in farming in some way in his life, but he wasn't sure exactly what that would look like. And he was working at a nonprofit in DC. So it was pretty hard to imagine how one goes from uh, nonprofit in DC to maybe being a farmer one day. And he sit down and wrote, you can find it on the Open Masters website, a uh, very detailed plan about all the things that he might learn if he were in a formal master's program about farming, um, but then sprinkled in liberally with all of the fun things that would that might fall outside of that. So lots of apprenticeships on farms and volunteering at community gardens and things like that. And this November, we finally celebrated after about two and a half years since when he started um, opening his farm in New York. So he followed that path from the beginning being um, kind of a side project to start reading some things and watching some videos and getting involved um, in the D.C. State Fair. Yes, D.C. has a state fair. Um, And um, over time, increasing his investment in that until he was finally able to start a dairy farm. Um, And uh, there were some more whimsical ones in that group, too. You know, Alex Simon, our other friend in that group, decided he just wanted to study chairs. And we almost... I thought it was a joke in the beginning, but he was insistent <laughs> that it, that he was quite serious about chairs. And we took him seriously when he finally said, no, I'm, I'm, I want to study the history, the anthropology and the design of chairs. Uh, so I want to make chairs. I want to know what makes chairs beautiful and functional. 
Um, I want to know why we have chairs and what the history of chairs are. I learned from him that chairs are um, actually in a lot of ways a way that the masses were trying to mimic one of the habits of royalty and you know you too could have a throne in your own home and there are in fact some pretty challenging side effects health-wise of chairs i think there's been some articles with titles like you know the new smoking is sitting um so anyway so he so he took that seriously and has been traveling um around the world visiting different um trade shows uh, taking in lots and lots of pictures of chairs talking to some of the best chair designers in the world, creating a podcast. Um, we don't really know where that one is going to go for him right now, though. Um, he's he's in that great space where he's learned a bunch of stuff now and is thinking maybe start a chair consultancy, maybe something else. Um, but he certainly learned a lot. So I want to ask you a few quick questions about exactly what these Open Masters projects look like. And then I'm going to get into why you decided to do the Open Masters. So first of all, it sounds like the Open Masters does not discriminate between academic and non-academic pursuits, because I heard you've got people studying medicine and literature, but you also have people starting dairy farms or breweries, or the chairs one is sort of a toss-up. That could go either direction. <laughs> true. And so that that's true. Open Masters, you don't have to be studying something that would classically be offered in a master's degree program. Right. And I think that's part of the appeal, is that, you know, People can like tap into that whimsical desire that they have to learn something um, and then maybe connect it to something that runs a lot deeper to them and, and tap into a way in which that which fancies them is actually part of their you know, core being, their passion. Um, you know, for for a lot of people that I've met, it's a way of integrating various studies that that are previously siloed in master programs. Um, so yeah, I think that's part of the appeal. And Alan, you mentioned that uh, some of the participants were around your age. What, what are your ages and what are the typical ages of people who are doing the open masters right now? Not surprisingly, it's mostly had an audience in the mid twenties just, um, initially since we began that, that was the makeup of the group that we were sitting on that table in DC. Uh, what has surprised us is that since we've begun, there's been a larger community kind of joining around the wings um, and starting to, we've always tried to keep all of our events that we do uh, potlucks and workshops and retreats and things like that as a really permeable space that people are invited into. So we've had a couple of uh, really disenfranchised high schoolers start to come to events. Uh, we've definitely found a few more of the uh, maybe mid career uh, mother or father interested in uh, pursuing something related to their ongoing career and even, um, you know, a retiring baby boomer looking for uh, what could be the start of a new encore career for them. Um, so uh, that's mostly been our demographic so far, though, is within the mid-20s looking to help launch or, or own the career that they really want to have. And the name is Open Masters. It's not Open open Bachelors. It's not Open PhD or just Open Study. Uh, is the implication here that you need a bachelor's degree or, or an equivalent to do this level of study? No, that's not, really, uh, that's not really been a problem for us. In fact, we have had people who haven't had bachelor's degrees involved in this community. We've kind of... Um, to be honest, appropriated the the language of, of masters in, a, in what we find is a helpful way and 
in terms of what it implies, it implies deepening focus um, over a, couple, a period of usually a couple of years and a, and a craft or a field that you want to master more fully. And that's actually mostly a helpful um, direction to give people. So we still like the name, even, even though it's certainly expanded in meaning for a lot of the people who've gotten involved in this community. And is the Open Masters free? Does it cost money? Open implies intellectually open. Is it also financially open? Yep. So uh, there are resources and um, events and so all sorts of things that you can find yourself getting involved with um, without, um, without any sort of exchange of money. One thing that we've learned over time, though, is that there are certain needs that people often have when they come to this sort of community or when they try to design their own master's degree that we've learned how to fulfill. And some of those things involve giving you physical tools that you can hold in your hand, like journals or more, more recent creation of a deck of cards or, a, or a, a box of materials that can help you get a group of a small group of people started on an open master's journey together. And also the intimate one-to-one support um, that many of us feel like we want when we start something difficult like this that can take the form of uh, sometimes coaching or sometimes just a person you can call that can help direct you to who else they might want to connect with in the community or where they might find resources to help themselves get started. So we have we have never formally charged for any um, any of the people who've gotten involved in this community and we actually just this year have started to understand that we uh, may need to create a more formal organization around this community to support and provide some of those needs sustainably into the future and that there could be some very small costs associated um, with getting the things that people ask for that do have cost to provide. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that um, our vision is as a community right now is to remain open and permeable for people who are interested. So that's where people can join a potluck. They can come to a retreat. They can attend a workshop on, you know, designing your own apprenticeship or sabbatical. Um, and they can use any of the tools and resources that we're providing for free on the internet. But um, we've, we have found that many in the community who want to make a formal commitment and a formal, um, declaration of the shift that they see emerging in themselves, they, they also um, need the kind of support that um, is, is uh, they need the kind of support that is provided by this larger community. Um, and they also want to designate that commitment. And sometimes it's really powerful for people to, to, you know, make that financial contribution. So I'm curious what the path is that each of you took that led you to the Open Masters. Alan, you were there from the inception. Sarah, you joined a little bit later as an organizer. So why don't we start with you, Alan? And um, yeah, what were you doing before the Open Masters? And what, tell us the ingredients of your secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so I had basically been community organizing in D.C. for about three years and designing creative ways to help people create learning experiences together. And those looked like really informal things that we called citizen circles that launched out of parties where we gathered people together to talk about things they might be interested in learning. And they would commit to a short experience with a small group of people and design something fun to do together. And 
uh, we'd been doing this a couple times a year and finding that it was really powerful for people to see just how much they could learn in a short period of time and how abundant the learning opportunities were that were around us. I think that got us into a certain frame of mind. And then we we were all starting to approach this point in our lives where professionally, it seemed like something that we needed, a lot of us, in order to continue to have the lives that we wanted to have professionally um, or in our careers was to maybe go back to school and get a master's degree. And not only, it wasn't just a feeling we had, we were seeing it when we were looking for jobs, you know, masters preferred when, when parents or well-meaning bosses or advisors were putting some pressure on us to think about when are you going back to grad school? And it, it actually reached a point where um, something seemed a little bit wrong about that for us. We would um, spend late nights Googling master's programs or thinking about what we wanted to do. And having had the more grassroots citizen circles experience, it just seemed like it didn't need to be so expensive. It didn't need to be so constrictive um, that we were more than capable of designing our own education. Um, and when we actually thought about the implications of going to grad school uh, and the outcomes that we saw from our friends who had decided to go that path, uh, there weren't a lot of happy customers of graduate programs that we could find. There were a lot of people coming out the other side feeling more encumbered than when they went in, uh, that they now had massive debt. I don't know if you know that um, a lot of the increase that has led to the more than trillion dollars of student debt that's out there um, has actually since 2004 mostly been led by increased spending on graduate programs. Um, so that's a big that's a big factor, and um, the average student debt of someone coming out of an undergrad degree is something like twenty thousand dollars for someone coming out of graduate degrees, it's more like 57 um, on average. And I think one out of four has more than $100,000 of debt. Um, so these are these are really massive numbers and they were, they were really indenturing our friends. And a lot of my friends had a passion for some kind of social transformation or change that they were interested in working on. And they just felt like they needed the degree in order to have the permission or the skill to go and do the work. And so it dawned on us that if we could design our own education and make it just as credible as a master's degree, then we could actually empower ourselves to be uh, able to do the work we wanted to do in the first place uh, without the possibility of handcuffing ourselves on the other side with, um, with a big tab to pick up. So I, I started my involvement with the Open Masters in late 2013 um, a group of friends and I um, all had this uh, common common need, which was we were learning or we were hoping to learn a lot in order to have the kind of work and have the kind of career and have the kind of life that we wanted. Um, and we felt like we could do that ourselves um, with each other. And so um, two friends and I, Jesse Sleemaker and Sophie Silverstein, um, organized a, a small group of, of other friends that we thought would be interested. And um, we, we just had a potluck and, and talked about what things were emerging in us that, that wanted to be nurtured and, and um, get more energy and attention and resources. And um, after, this, after this long conversation, we were all kind of like, well, you know, you want to start this business and you're starting this like, you know, college counseling service and you want to start a brewery and, and you like are really hoping to tap into, you know, the feminist within you. And 
And all of us have these goals. Why can't we, why can't we just hold each other accountable to them? Why can't we mutually commit to helping each other see through our dreams and our goals and our aspirations? Um, and because we had heard about the open masters, um, through one of, one of the kind of nomadic Johnny Appleseeds who had been seeding a lot of communities around the United States by, by talking about the open masters and holding these workshops, um, we had a framework to work with. We used the open masters handbook that was just the simple Google doc on the website. And, and we decided what our values and our principles were going to be as a small group. And we, we also decided what kind of structure we wanted to have, what kind of rhythm and cadence to our, our self-organized um, community what, what it was going to be. And so from there, we um, started having these bi-weekly potlucks and held a few workshops and had a retreat. And it was a really formative experience. And through that, through the conversations that we had, I feel like all of us gained a deeper understanding of what it was that we really wanted to do. And it was through that process that I came to understand what my open masters was. Um, so, you know, I had been doing uh, work in the social sector for a few years and had um, a really great experience in really wonderful organizations and social enterprises that were doing things in international development. Um, but I knew that I wasn't also feeding the creative side of me that that was really hoping to have more freedom and have um, a lot more energy and productivity. Um, so, so I had, I was in this transitional moment and recognized that that's what I wanted to, to focus my attentions on. And from there decided that I was going to try and combine my interests of work in the social sector. Um, so things surrounding social justice issues and my desire to be a, a journalist, be a, a designer, be an artist of various kinds. So what do you guys see as the need that you are fulfilling? Why hasn't somebody created something like the Open Masters yet? Like, and specifically, I'm thinking there's a lot of cool programs popping up out there for people who are post-college for uh, career training or for further personal exploration. Um, admittedly, a lot of them cost a lot of money. And uh, so where do you see the Open Masters fitting in? So over, over the last four or five years that we've been on this path, we have essentially interviewed hundreds or uh, maybe at this point a thousand or more people who are uh, in some ways uh, dis disenchanted with what they're getting from formal degree programs or looking for an alternative or actually have, having already taken the step to design something else or to partake of the, the now- um, flourishing alternatives that exist out there. Um, there are a variety of different short entrepreneurial or design kind of training programs or gap year type programs, a lot of great content online coming in very curated ways for, for example, teaching about programming, um, teaching you how to teach yourself to be a programmer. Um, and uh, what we've noticed about a lot of what's out there is that the focus is in many ways on either getting content out there or on providing a technology solution that will be able to get an educational experience to the masses. And in the meantime, there are just a lot of people. 
that are trying to learn. And having interviewed um, hundreds of them at this point, there's a really consistent story about what it is that they feel like they're missing. And a really big piece of that is companionship. They're missing belonging to a committed group of people, um, to a community that will hold them, that can see them grow, can witness their growth and development, can vouch for them, can give visibility to what they've learned. Um, And this is not Uh, This is not a hard thing to do, but it does take some organizing and it does take some intentional effort to build community to support those sorts of needs. And so we've decided to focus plain and simple purely on meeting the needs for community visibility and companionship that uh, a lot of our peers in the world have been craving. Um, So, yeah, another way of thinking about it is that a lot of the people we've been talking to um, feel like they're either entering a program um, because they think it's the, the next right step for them, um, but aren't exactly sure why. There's, there's a lot of pressure from family or from the career that they've chosen to, to go to grad school or to enter another program. I think that, you know, sometimes we go through these programs hoping that we're going to find ourselves. But oftentimes what, what's most needed in order for that to happen is the right friend who knows you really well asking really good questions and challenging you to do the things that they know that you're capable of doing and that you want to be doing. Um, and so I think, I think people aren't finding that kind of companionship in other places. Um, and, and for the people who are very self-directed and want to be doing this on their own, um, they're, they're also not seeing who else is out there. And one of the needs that we've, we've seen from people we've talked to is, they want to see what other self-directed learners are out there. They want, to, they want to check out what they're learning, what their goals are. They want to see all the creative ways that they have figured out to showcase their work and, and um, you know, share it with their families and friends. Um, and they want that visibility, sorry, they want that visibility for others and they want that visibility for themselves. They want others to see what they're doing and they, they want others to see it in a way that is cohesive. So I think that, you know, there are a lot of um, other programs that are they're doing great, great things. You know, I'm I'm a, a, a participant in many of them. Um, you know, people are learning through online courses, through MOOCs. They're taking, you know, a community class or community college class here. They're reading a book there. They've got all these projects that they're working on. Um, but I think what's missing is really the glue that's pulling all those pieces together and helping someone to share the larger story of this is who I am. This is what I'm working on. And this is how all of the pieces connect. Um, and so I think the things that we're focused on, on serving the, the, the places that we're hoping to serve our community members are really to bring the visibility to your learning journey. Um, and to, to help you form the intimate companionship that helps you um, stay accountable to the, to those dreams and to um, inf- like infuse some some inspiration and motivation at the times when you really need it. There's a there's a book I would highly recommend uh, called Academically Adrift that has documented uh, a lot of the unmet needs um, or challenging um, challenges in terms of outcomes of students going through formal undergraduate or graduate um, degree programs. And one of the statistics that uh, stuck with with me from that book 
is that the actual amount of time that students and faculty are spending with each other has declined over the last 30 years. And I think that mirrors something that's going on in um, sort of all spheres of our life that in corporations, uh, there is uh, maybe less of a feeling than there was a generation before. And now you're part of the company and we're going to mentor and really invest in your professional development in the long term. Um, if, if you're not getting it from there, if you're not getting it from universities, um, if uh, institute, re- religious institutions, uh, if you're not part of that and you're not getting that sort of intimate support there, there really are a lot of people that are hungry for intimate understanding and support of the kind of the person they're becoming. And um, this need is something that people are showing up at educational programs hoping to fulfill. And, um, and that, that process of fulfilling that is really a pretty human one that involves investing in each other and listening and seeing each other grow and develop over time. I think it helps explain the proliferation of a lot of coaching programs and things like that too. But we have some concerns about whether or not anything else uh, can really scale other than putting the tools into people's hands themselves. So a big goal of ours with the Open Masters community is to try to figure out what's the secret sauce, what's the littlest bit of support and instruction or guidance that we can give people to enable them to be that that listening ear and that support and that coach to each other. We ran an event in DC this fall that we'll be expanding on a lot more this year, I think called the art of peer coaching, where we just have been trying to figure out how to teach people um, on their own, how to meet this deep need that they're feeling. Exactly. I am. I think that a lot of what we're talking about is um, a lack of the third space the space that isn't work, the space that isn't friends, it's its a little bit more than that. It's the space that holds you for, as you said, Alan, the person that you're becoming. Um, and I think that's thats what people search for when, or, or are searching for when they, when they arrive in our community. Um, and I think what we're really trying to figure out and, and are experimenting with is how to empower people to hold that third space for others? How do they build the community, build the kinds of intimate um, relationships, and also use the, the f- kinds of frameworks and questions that are helpful for getting people into that, that deeper space of who are you, who are you becoming, and why? Why is, why is it important for um, you know, the world, and why is it important for you? Um, yeah. It sounds like a big takeaway from the Open Masters is this process of self-exploration, And I imagine that a lot of the people who are doing the Open Masters really enjoyed that part of their undergraduate college experience. And when they finished school and it was like, okay, now you start just working and living and the (laughs) self-exploration is done, that was not a satisfactory answer for them. And so would you say that's accurate? Those are the type of people who, who gravitate towards the Open Masters? Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a pretty yeah, I think that's a really strong contingency um, that that we're definitely building a base of um, community from, which is um, either someone who had a great experience with their college education and experienced their uh, real loving, caring, supportive community and are missing that and want to get back to that. And that's what Sarah was just describing when we talk about the third space, it's that thing that's not work and not social. It's the place that feels like your classmates where you're 
talking about Thoreau and what does it mean to be human and these sort of giving yourselves permission to dive into those bigger questions together that an intellectual or academic or scholarly kind of space gives you permission to explore. But there are just as many people too who feel like their education left them scarred um, and they don't want to do it the same way again, that they, uh, that they want to be more empowered this time around to design the structure themselves. What happens at the end of an open master's? There's no degree <laughs> conferred, I assume. So how, how do you symbolize that you've completed an open master's? We think it's really important to recognize the vast amounts of expertise and knowledge that people have developed in informal ways out there. So we've been developing uh, usually, and by we developing, I mean the community has been co-creating some pretty creative solutions to how to recognize the learning that people have accomplished in self-directed ways. Um, For example, when Mike Durante, the farmer I mentioned earlier, uh, opened his farm this fall, we asked him the question, what would you like to do to celebrate your completion of this vision that you had three years ago and you actually pulled off? That's worth celebrating. And he said, the last thing I want is a piece of paper at this moment. Um, I don't want a graduation because if anything, I feel like by going through this process, really it's like, um, you know, I've developed this habit, this new habit or this muscle, and I'm just going to keep going on. I'm going to keep doing the next thing. And now I'm going to learn a whole bunch more about running a business. And I'm going to bring the same intention I did to my process to here to those sorts of new goals I have. So I'm kind of just if anything, graduating into being um, a lifelong learner with a whole lot more um, skill in doing so now, maybe. So he said what he would really like is if we could have a reunion of the original group that he started with, and if we could give him something symbolic uh, that he um, that he would... So actually, what, what he specifically requested was something useful that whenever he used it, would remind us of him and the journey he went on. So we uh, we bought a hammer for $7 from Ace Hardware and engraved our names on it and gave it to him with a ridiculously large red bow and had dinner together in the same way that we began and talked about what he had learned and what, he'd hope, what he would hope to go onto from there. And that, I think, might have set some kind of precedent for our community about how we celebrate um, and not so much a graduation as much as a um, an acknowledgement of an ambitious goal met with something symbolic or representative gathered with the people who, help, who helped get you there. Um, we also, this fall, I don't know if you want to talk about it, Sarah. Um, yeah, sure. I, this, this fall, we um, in San Francisco celebrated a, a convocation. So it was the the start of the fall semester and we were wrapping up the things that were learned in, in the spring and summer. Um, but one of the most exciting parts of this is that we invited a, a guest speaker, um, Arlene Goldbard, who is um, a really incredible woman. She is an author and an activist and has done some remarkable things in her career. Um, and she's also an autodidact. So she's never received any formal degrees of any kind, um, even I think high school. Um, so she's completely self-taught and was in conversation with Alan talking about kind of this, um, kind of, kind of this, this, I wouldn't call it a need necessarily, but 
something that would be nice for her to have would be some form of recognition. You know, she's achieved a lot and yet she's, she doesn't have this piece of paper that everyone else expects. Um, and so kind of in a, in a way of, um, honoring the traditions of higher institution or higher education, um, we, uh, conferred an honorary PhD after her, after her speech, um, during our convocation ceremony. I'd like to wrap up by asking about the transferability of an open master's, uh, you know, we're not going to call it a degree, but an open master's to the, the work world, because there's a lot of people who are going to master's programs specifically because they see it as a, the next move on a career step or to earn more money or to open more doors. And so can you briefly tell me, has anyone in the open master's community had success doing this? This is, you asked a moment ago for our secret sauce. Well, here's the secret sauce. We're giving it away right now. It's surprisingly simple. Uh, the idea of a self-declared master's is a surprisingly good hack for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of that is one of the reasons is that it shows your initiative, your creativity, your ability to self-organize. And so, yes, members of our community have listed the open masters on their resumes on their LinkedIn profiles. And one of the things that we've learned is that it actually raises more eyebrows to a recruiter than a typical master's degree because they want to invite you to the interview to hear the story. And the story is going to be a good one. So let me get this straight. You designed your own master's degree. Can you tell us about that, please? Um, I listed it on a resume this fall that got me hired by the World Bank. Um, so I think that's about as much as as much endorsement as I feel like I need at this point of my degree. Um, there are lots of different hacks that we talk about in our materials on the website. Um, one of which is if you want to build credibility for your self-designed degree, um, ask for formal endorsements. Ask for people who have been part of the process with you to endorse on your LinkedIn profile, write you a letter, write on your website a testimonial, um, whatever you need to do to help give um, credibility to your process, create, um, create a portfolio, put it online, show the work that you've done. People are more interested in what you can do and what you have done, um, than the formal degree anyway, because a lot of people have learned that the formal degree doesn't guarantee that you actually have the skill anyway, um, for necessarily for what they're looking for, because a lot of what they're looking for and what a lot of businesses and companies are missing are self-directed, creative people who can figure out problems on their own, can collaborate in new and interesting ways. Um, and that's exactly what people are learning from this experience. So I'm hoping that the world will catch up with, um, with the, um, the clever hack of designing your own degree. My guests today have been Alan Webb and Sarah Jane Bradley. Alan and Sarah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Blake. This is the Real Education Podcast. This show is produced with the assistance of Zen Zenith, who also created the music. For more episodes, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.